Well, we are spending some time in January talking about some of those fundamentals uh, of following, fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, just to kind of make sure we're, we're, we're putting those uh, pieces all together, uh, we talk about our, our diagram, maybe a discipleship pathway, and let me just review that again very quickly just to kind of give context to these messages. Uh, we, we just remember following is always uh, about grace. It started by grace, it's initiated by grace, it's sustained by God's grace. And we, we open up our lives to receive that grace uh, uh, through faith, the faith that he enables uh, through the, the gospel. We celebrate initially that faith uh, through the waters of baptism. And, and so grace is in the center of our diagram because it's central uh, to everything else. Uh, and then we talk about, about some practices there on the outside, and they're ongoing practices because of the, the circle of the arrows and the uh, first uh, weekend in January, Pat talked to us about gathering. We talk about gathering in worship. He focused on gathering in groups and how essential that is, not just to be in rows, but also to be in circles. And so we just encourage you, if you're not already connected to a group, check out some groups. Uh, there's Sunday morning groups. Uh, uh, Pat and Jan are going to be getting a Sunday evening group uh, along the way, but uh, lots of different opportunities for groups. And then last week we talked about groups. Grow. Uh, we grow uh, by learning with others, and that's why we have a disciple life and some of these other short-term environments. And we just encourage you check those out, see if that's something might God might want to use. But we really focused in uh, our time on on that practice of a quiet time. How do we have a time alone with God? And we challenged one another to 30-day challenge, 30 day every day for 30 days to spend some time with God. It doesn't have to be three hours, but but, but just start, start somewhere. And and thank you all, several of you have been so, so encouraging. You've sent some emails or notes along the way just to say how God's kind of uh, uh, using that. To you're, you're beginning for the first time or you're restarting or, or just kind of a renewed uh, sense of that. And so we're just, we're just uh, praying, keep on, keep on. And what I would say to you along those lines, sometimes, sometimes it maybe we get discouraged. You get sick. You got busy. You missed a day or something. You feel like a failure. Well, I was going to do it for 30 days. Just start all over. <laughs> It's it's legal, you know. Uh, just start wherever you are, and just and just spend some time in God's Word. And this morning we want to focus on the on the, the 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 third there at the bottom is to give. And we certainly talk about a give of yourself, and, and we give financially through the church. But what I really want to focus on this morning is how we give uh, in in serving one another. And so we're going to focus on that. And Philippians two is is going to be. Uh, kind of one of our, our central scriptures as we look at the heart of Jesus in that along the way. But as we, as we dive into that, let me just take you to a, a, a retirement banquet. After 40 years of service in his company, Jerry was finally getting his reward, a formal retirement banquet held in his honor. And when the night arrived, it was a shindig, right? Everybody showed up looking their best, White-gloved attendants served all the meals, courses. But as the night progressed, people began to look around the room, and nobody could kind of see Jerry. And folks began to kind of murmur around their tables, where was the guest of honor? After dessert and seeing they couldn't drag on the evening indefinitely, the CEO of the company got up to speak, and 
he kind of awkwardly confessed that no one had seen Jerry. Suddenly, one of the servers uh, was, who had been in the kitchen comes bursting out. And he says, hey, Jerry's in the back there. He's up to his elbows in soapy water. He had been part of the festivities all night long. But he had been waiting on his guest, unrecognized, and now he was doing the dishes. I know, ridiculous story, right? I mean, who shows up in their moment of glory? this celebration of their work and does dirty dishes. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You're not like the guest of honor and the busboy at the same time, right? I mean, we just don't do it that way. Well, unless you're Jesus. Because the banquet that they had for him right before his arrest, crucifixion. When they recognized, began to get glimpses of who he was, the one who was worthy of the greatest honor was the one with a towel over his arm and hands in the water, washing some dirty feet. When you read the Bible, you have to get comfortable with paradox. Things that are held in tension and declared to be absolutely true, even though sometimes at first glance they don't appear to be. The paradox that greatness and servanthood are not simply compatible, but they're synonymous. That no one will know greatness in his kingdom without knowing servanthood, no one. Serving may sound like a grudging task that we have to gut out somehow by sheer determination. But here we find yet another kingdom paradox. God's call to servanthood is actually life-giving. His brand of servanthood energizes, it invigorates, it satisfies. And when he calls you, he equips you as well. And the moment that you and I entrusted our lives to him, we were not only granted eternal life and cleansing, but we were given a charismata. We were given spiritual gifts that allow you to make a strategic contribution to the body of Christ so that it can become everything that God intended it to be, that it could be the light it was called to be in a dark world. Which brings us to one final paradox. When we use our spiritual gifts in the spirit of servanthood, something happens to us as well as through us. Old patterns of pride, self-absorption, and arrogance get disrupted. We explore our strengths and come face to face with our weaknesses. And in serving, failure leads us to fresh encounters with God's grace, risk lead to fresh experiences of trust. Competitiveness gives way to fresh reliance on community. Serving is truly a transforming endeavor. And that is why it is a fundamental of being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
There's a quote attributed to Winston Churchill, among others. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. It's that, that, that kingdom truth that as we give ourselves away, as we actually lose ourselves, we actually find ourselves. And so what I want to do for a few moments this morning is, is talk about this, this call to servanthood, this call to give ourselves away. And I don't want you to hear it as, as okay, the preacher's up there and it's like guilt trip time. <laughs> no, this is actually a call, a call to be who God gifted and created you to be, a call to fulfill your kingdom purpose, a call not just to mark time but to make time count for God's kingdom. A call to experience all that God wants to experience and do in you and through you that's only going to come as you learn to give yourself away. And it begins with the heart. And so let's talk a little bit about the heart of a servant. And I want you to notice from the beginning, as we've already used the example of Jesus, that Jesus is our example in this. I mean, Jesus was committed to downward mobility, right? In a world where very often we're about the, the next achievement, the next position, the next level, or whatever it might be, Jesus came in a different way. Paul wrote about it this way in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That Jesus Christ didn't protect his position, but surrendered it. He moved downward from the heights of heaven's throne to a feeding trough in a little outpost of Bethlehem. Creator and sustainer of the universe took up human form in a sin-scarred, messy world. And he didn't come proclaiming, do all this for me. But he said, let me show you. Let me show you a better way. And he took on the form of a servant. Jesus was committed to downward mobility. And Paul says, have this mind in you, among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. The heart of a servant reminds us that we're called. Every one of us is called to serve people. Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Yes, we have incredible freedom in Jesus Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That you are free. You are free from having to prove yourself. You're free from having to impress people. You're free to be able to serve. You're free to be able to love exactly the way that Jesus did. We are free to serve people. Matthew 20, Jesus said, Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to follow Christ? 
take up the towel, pick up the basin, because that's what he came to do. We're called to serve people. And as we serve people, we discover that serving people is actually serving Christ. The Christ whom we follow, the Christ whom we love, the Christ who has given himself for us. In Matthew's gospel, staying there, Jesus taught, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That when I serve, yes, even that person that's hard to serve, (laughs) that person that doesn't deserve to be served, I can serve because I know I'm serving Christ. And they may not appreciate it. They may even reject it and resent it. But I can serve because I know in serving people, I'm serving Christ. And that serving is a form of worship. It is a form of worship as I, as I give myself away. Romans 12, 1, we know it well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That as I present myself as this sacrifice, and part of that sacrifice is certainly as I sacrifice my rights, my preferences to serve others, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yes, worship is singing. Yes, it's praying. Yes, it's being attentive to his word. But it is also the outworking of all of those things as we serve. And it becomes a form of of worship as we, we serve God by serving people. We serve those that sometimes aren't easy to serve. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, talks about several Christians who showed their gratitude to God with amazing acts of service. One of them was a man by the name of Millard Fuller. This millionaire entrepreneur from Alabama was rich, but in so many ways by his own admission miserable. Then he visited America's Georgia, where he met Clarence Jordan and became involved with his Koinonia community. And Jordan led him to Christ. And Fuller responded by giving away his personal fortune to help found an organization that you've probably heard of, Habitat for Humanity. An organization that's based on a simple premise that every human being deserves a decent place to live. And no telling now how many thousands and tens of thousands and more of homes have been built through Habitat all over the world. But Fuller put it this way, the reason I do what I do and so many of our volunteers do what they do is because we are grateful and we are being obedient to Jesus. I don't serve grudgingly, but I get to. I get to, and as I serve, it is a form of worship. And let me just mention one other thing when we talk about the fullness of, or talk about the heart of a servant, and that is sustained servanthood flows from spiritual fullness. That's why I'm not up here to guilt anybody, <laughs> because guilt, guilt will only fuel you for a little bit of time, won't it? Uh, we don't serve well 
And we don't serve long out of guilt or obligation. We serve best. Servanthood is sustained when it flows out of spiritual fullness. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That, that it is as useless as it would be for a branch to, to, try, to uh, try to sustain fruit without the life-giving flow of the vine. In much the same way, if I'm not walking in a spiritual fullness, full of God's grace, growing in Christ-likeness, that I'm going to be able to give consistently, joyfully, in a way that blesses others and grows me, unless it is happening out of spiritual fullness. That's the heart of a servant. And you say, well, I, I, that sounds great and kind of high-minded, you know. Yes, let's serve, but where? I mean, where do I serve? Where does that even look like? And let me just remind you of just a, a core premise that, 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 that I hope if you'll hang on to this, if, if nothing else, this morning. And that is simply this. My ministry is determined by my makeup. And I'm not talking about what you might put on your face, okay? <laughs> right. My ministry is determined by how I am made up, how God has put me together. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece that with intentionality, God created you and I in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God knew what he was doing when he made you, you. He knew what he was doing when he gifted you and, and put you together in the way that he has. In fact, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Now, this is huge because sometimes we feel like, well, if I had somebody's talent, if I had somebody else's ability, if I had those opportunities, if I had that support, if I had that education, if I had that training, whatever, boy, I would really be a servant then. God knew what he was doing when he made you, you. He knew exactly what role he needed you to play. He designed you to play in the body of Christ. And Paul goes on as he talks about the body, how ridiculous it would be if everybody was an eye, right? And I've always had like this grotesque image of a six-foot eyeball rolling around, right? It's just <laughs> like a horror movie, right? No. There's great diversity in the body. And there's great diversity in the body of Christ. And many of you have been around here for a while and you, you've heard us teach on this and, and so many others have. Uh, it's not, not unique to us. Uh, but you think about how God has shaped you and we'll just throw them up there real quick. Uh, he's given you spiritual gifts. That every follower of Jesus Christ has been entrusted with spiritual gifts. And it is not just for our own betterment. It's not just for our own amusement. But it is to be employed for serving the body of Christ. For serving those even outside of the body of Christ. And then he's given you a heart. He's given you a heart passion. Some of you have a passion for, for different causes, for different ages, for different groups, for different needs. And God kind of gets a hold of your heart. 
And sometimes, in fact, is you get frustrated with other people. Because it's like, why, why don't you, why aren't you as passionate about this as I am? And you feel like everybody ought to be doing exactly what you're doing. That's called projection. <laughs> that I'm projecting my giftedness, I'm projecting my heart onto you. Could it be that God gave you that heart and that passion because that's where he wants you to pursue it? Celebrate that, leverage that, but don't beat other people up because God's given them different hearts and different passions, right? We need that diversity. Abilities. You have some incredible God-given abilities. Some of you very people-related. Some of you very task-oriented. Some of you can do numbers. Some of you are great with your hands. Some of, you, some of you are behind the scenes. Some of you are up front. Some of you are big idea people. Some of you are detail people. Yeah, all of us, we have all of this diversity of abilities. And God just entrusted those to you not just to make a living, but to make a life by giving yourself away. You have personality differences, right? You've noticed that, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, we, we, we just, we have different personalities. And, and that, that's, every personality has strengths and weaknesses in a sins card world, but God knew what he was doing when he entrusted you with your personality. Maybe you wish, I wish I had this personality, or I wish I was more like that. And maybe that's a growth area, but maybe it's just a recognition, this is part of how God's wired me together. And then all of us have had experiences, life experiences. The family you grew up in, where you grew up, how you grew up, education experiences, work experiences. You've had some highlight experiences. You've had some painful experiences. And God uses all of those things to shape you. And your ministry, to a large, 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 large extent, is going to be determined by your makeup. I like the way that Max Licato put it in his book, The Cure for the Common Life. Da Vinci painted one Mona Lisa. Beethoven created one fifth symphony. And God made one version of you. You're it. You're the only you there is. Think about that. You only get one shot at this. You can do something no one else can do in a fashion. No one else can do it. You are more than a coincidence of chromosomes and heredity, more than just an assemblage of somebody else's lineage. You are uniquely made. But can you be anything you want to be? If you're uniquely made, now stop and think about this. If you're uniquely made, can you really be anything you want to be? If you don't have the sense to take care of numbers... Can you be an accountant? If you don't have a love for the dirt, can you be a farmer? If you don't have an appreciation and devotion to kids, can you really, do you really want to be a teacher? But you can be an unhappy one, an unsatisfied one. You can be one of the 80% of the workforce that doesn't like their work, one of the 80% of the people that says, I don't use my talents on a daily basis. You can be a statistic. Can you be anything you want to be? I don't think so. But you can be everything God wants you to be. And you do so by discovering your uniqueness.
Your ministry is determined by your makeup. So you begin to think, God, how have you put me together? And then I want you to think, as you think about this question of a place to serve, think about three spheres of service, three spheres of service. Think about ongoing ministry. This is kind of part of, this is just part of the rhythm of my life. This is the way that I serve, and this is probably most likely connected with, over time, your unique makeup. But sometimes God will have you to serve maybe a short-term project, right? So it may be, hey, hey I, 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 I maybe take a week mission trip. Maybe I, I serve in VBS or a sports camp or I do this or help build this or, or serve in this, the family in this particular short-term thing. And so maybe there's this ongoing track in my life. This is kind of how I pretty consistently show up and serve. But then there are those short-term things that God may bring along the way. But I also want you to think about spontaneous situations, right? That you wake up in the morning and you didn't really know this was on the agenda, but God opens up a window. He makes you aware of a need, and you feel that prompting, that whisper of the Holy Spirit to say, get involved. Jump in. Lend a hand. Say a word. Encourage. Confront. Get involved. Now put these together. Your primary place of ministry should be in line with your makeup. I really do feel like that. Your secondary places of ministry will be according to the need. And maybe that's a need in a short-term project. Maybe that's a, that, that's a need in a spontaneous situation. But along the way... Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've taught some of these things for years and years and years from a, from a pulpit and in classroom environments, one-on-one. And there's always a little bit of fear because after you've been doing something for a while, you, you start to learn some, some patterns of how maybe somebody responds. And, and here's the fear in talking to you about makeup and shape and all of those things is that there are going to be some people that say, well, as soon as I get all that figured out, <laughs> as soon as I can like figure out what my spiritual gifts are and my heart passions and my abilities and my personality and my life experiences, as soon as I kind of get like all that straight in my mind and I know exactly the perfect place for me to serve, then I'm going to go, right? And I even have some folks in some leadership circles that, that say, well, if you could just get everybody to take like a spiritual gifts test and then they would know where to serve. And I, I end up asking them because I've heard this so many times and I end up asking them, let me, let me ask you this, did you start serving after you took a spiritual gifts test? <laughs> oh, no. No. So here's the profound fault. Don't wait for the perfect place. Just start. Just start. Somebody told me it's a whole lot easier to steer a car that's moving than one that's parked, right? Yeah. It's just start. And I want you to know this is a fellowship of grace. It really is. <laughs> and, you know, it, it is kind of like some of us are feeling like, okay, if I, if I start here, it's like I will be trapped in this lane forever, right? You know, I can't get out. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. We want you to thrive. We want you to experience all the things we're getting ready to talk about, the rewards of service. 
And so start and adjust. And it may be God has you do this for a season. He has you move to something else in another season of life. There are all different ways to do that. But just get in the game. Get in the game. We do not need more spectators. Right? The kingdom does not need any more critics. Armchair quarterbacks. We need men and women who are engaged, who are engaged. So what's the payoff? What's the payoff of service? Well, the scripture talks about a lot of them. Let me just run through a few real quick. First of all, fruitfulness. We've already kind of hinted at that. Fruitfulness. Jesus, back to that John 15 passage, said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And part of that choosing of you is he appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, that God wants to move in and through my life and your life. He wants to produce fruit, a fruit that makes a difference in the lives of others. In Colossians, Paul said, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And part of being fully pleasing to him is bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. By the way, do you know that as you serve, you begin to know more about God? As you allow God to work through you, he shows you more of who you are and who he is. And so there is a fruitfulness, a fruitfulness in my own life, but a fruitfulness in the lives of others along the way. And and here's what I, I really believe. I believe deep in the heart, Every follower of Jesus Christ is a desire to make a difference. That deep in our heart, somewhere it gets buried under busyness or hurt or pain. And listen, I could tell you stories, and I know you could tell me stories of of how you get beat up when you serve. But deep in our heart, I'm convinced there's a desire to make a difference. There's a desire for my life life to bear fruit that blesses others and pleases God. And out of that fruitfulness comes fulfillment. That there is a fulfillment that comes into my life. There's a, that sense of, yes, I was made for this. I, I really feel like, wouldn't it be great if all of us could have something similar said about us as we come to the end of our days, as Acts said about David. He had sat for after he had served God's purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That we served God's purpose in our own generation. I don't know why God in his sovereignty chose to place you and I in the 21st century in this corner of the world. But he did. He did. And maybe there are times that you look at the news cycle or you look at things happening and you wish, God, could you have put me like a a, a few decades earlier or something, right? But God chose to put you and I in this generation and to be able to come to the end of our days and say, I didn't do it perfectly. But by God's grace, I experienced a fulfillment because I really feel like I engaged in serving God's purpose in this generation. 
there's a fulfillment, there's a fruitfulness. But there are also rewards. The scripture unapologetically talks about that. Paul said, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. That there are rewards for serving well. Jesus, when he was, was asked by his disciples, kind of, what's the payoff? I mean, what's the payoff for following you and serving you? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. So let me try to drill down for just a moment and try to give you a few practical ways to start. Thinking about who could I serve? Who could I serve? And certainly ministry determined by our makeup. Certainly, an ongoing ministry is best, is most fulfilling, is most fruitful when it's in line with our unique design. But I, I just want to spend just a moment and talk to you about, uh, about those spontaneous situations or maybe those short-term things. And, and I'm just going to encourage you to maybe think about as you're having a conversation with God on a daily basis, to just include a question. God, who needs to be reminded that God loves them? Who in my circles of influence need to be reminded that God loves them? So as a part of a daily time, I just ask that question. Who needs to be reminded that God loves them? Where I live, where I work, where I play, who needs to be reminded that God loves them? What could I do to serve them with God's love? Doesn't have to be this like big, extraordinary thing. It may be just a very simple, small act of service. When will I do this? Where will this take place? The more specific I can get, the more likely it is to happen. Think with me for a moment. What would happen? What would happen? If every one of us, everyone that will be in and out of this room for three services today, just begin to ask that question on a daily basis. God, who needs to be reminded that you love them today? What can I do to serve them with your love? And maybe, maybe there won't be anything that'll go, ah, oh, right there at that moment. But it may be as you're walking through the day, just the fact that you ask God that question sensitizes your radar. And he shows you. He shows you a person, a situation. He brings somebody to mind. Or a phone call comes or whatever it is. And you, it clicks, oh God, this is the one. This is the one who needs to be reminded today that you love them. And I get to serve them in your love. Spontaneously, we can just do that on a daily basis. Now let me try to put this together with a quick lesson from the early church. You may remember the scene in Acts 6. In Acts 6, the church is new, it's exploding, and whenever you get people together, you know, as I said, people rub up against each other and it creates friction, right? And it doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved, uh, I mean, it just, it just happens, right? And in Acts 6, you have these folks coming together and, and it says the disciples were increasing in number and this complaint arises, there's a legitimate problem. 
a legitimate problem. There's, they're, they're, they're trying to, to take care of some, some widows, some from a Jewish background, a Hebrew background, some from a Greek or a Hellenist background. And, and some are being neglected in the daily distribution. And so the, the natural inclination is to look at these guys, look at the, this core group of 12, and say, fix it. Do it. Right? And they were wise enough in the spirit to know that God had given great diversity to the body of Christ. And so they said, Choose. Choose seven men among you, and it talks about some of their qualifications. And they're going to carry this load. And we're going to continue to focus on these things that we feel like God's really called us to, this ministry of word and prayer. It's not one that's better than the other. It's just that they're different roles, different people. And by the act of, obviously, God's grace and God's spirit preparing them, the, the people said, yes, this will work. This is a, a great idea. And so they, they, in verse 6, they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And then I want you to see what happens. What happens when the body of Christ functions in that way? What happens when everybody doesn't try to have just a few people doing everything, but everybody understands I have a role to play? And they take up that role. Verse 7 tells us this. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the result of a properly functioning body of Christ is lives are changed. Eternal destinies are altered. That's what happens. That's what happens when the body of Christ functions well. When every part begins to do its Part. And we understand that there are no such things as a meaningless part. Sure, there are parts that have a higher profile, but there are no meaningless parts. We come together to do together what we cannot do alone. And so as we think about giving ourselves away, I just want to kind of ask you one last question, or two actually. Do we really understand what is at stake? It's not just about filling positions on an org chart. It's not just about putting warm bodies in slots. But it's about walking with God in the way that he's designed us and experiencing his fruitfulness and his fulfillment, looking forward to his rewards. And it's being used by him to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. And the question comes down to this, if I realize, if I realize what's at stake, am I willing to do whatever it takes in light of what is at stake? And so can I just ask you to indulge me for just a couple more moments? And I want you to think about a Sunday morning. A Sunday morning when a family shows up for the very first time because somebody that they live with or somebody that they work with has been kind of praying for them and investing in them. 
And they've invited them to church, and a lot of times they've said, yeah, 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 but they didn't, they didn't have any intention of coming. But maybe something's going on in their life, or maybe they just sense there's something more, and they've begun to wonder, is this God thing real? And so they go to a website. <laughs> and they're going to form some impressions. Not only about a church, but about God and about how important and serious this is. Based on even what they see on a website. <laughs> right? Maybe they're going to take a chance. And they're going to load their family up. And the kids are going to say, where are we going? And they're going to drive on a campus. And all the time, they're just wondering, is this really right? Is this, or should we just turn around and go home? Should we just like go get brunch? And there's anxiety building up on the inside. And there's lots of questions they don't know the answer to. And their hypocrisy radar is just running sky high. They're just looking for anything that will confirm their bias that all this is a bunch of bull. And they show up. And what happens matters. It matters not just to get another seat in a chair. It matters because eternal destinies are at stake. It matters what they experience when they pull in in a parking lot. Is there a sign that tells them where to go? All the insiders know. Do they even know? And when they get out, is there going to be anybody there to greet them? Are they going to be met by a friendly face? When they are guided to this place where you're asking them to drop off their kids with people they've never met before, and they're going to be asking some serious questions. Is this place clean? Is it safe? Is it secure? Do they take my kids seriously? Are they staffed well enough to take care of my kids? Do the people that are in those rooms, are they just trying to get through the next 75 minutes or do they really love my kids? And if they feel secure enough to leave their kids there, they're going to walk into a room. And what are they going to experience? Is somebody going to greet them along the way? Are they going to sit down and everybody's going to talk to everybody else, but nobody's going to talk to them? Maybe, just maybe, they've gotten several greetings. Maybe, just maybe, somebody was looking out for them because somebody had prayed that morning, God, who needs to be reminded that you love them? And they see this couple and they go over and, introduce themselves and maybe even offer to sit with them. And afterwards, some other folks talk to them. And it matters. It matters. What's the room like? 
It matters. Does the technology work? It matters to them. Is the music well done? It matters to them. Are people gifted using their gifts in those spaces and areas? It matters whether the word is taught in a faithful fashion. In a language they can understand. All those things matter. And over in the other hall, there's somebody that's getting ready to change a diaper. And maybe, maybe they've just forgotten what they're doing there. But in that moment, God reminds them they're changing a diaper while God's in the business of changing a life. Because everything matters. And every part of the body matters. And the question is, When that couple shows up, when that family shows up, what are they going to experience in the body of Christ? Are they going to experience too few people trying to do too many things? Are they going to experience the body of Christ functioning at full redemptive potential with every part Fulfilling its role. Doing so out of the overflow of God's work in them. Do we really understand what's at stake? And am I willing to do whatever it takes in light of what is at stake? Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the diversity of the body. Thank you for the incredible giftedness in this room right here, right now. And Father, I, I just pray. I pray, Lord, just for those that are in the thick of serving you. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. You would remind them of what's at stake. You would remind them that what they do matters, whether they, they feel like it today or not. Lord, I pray for some that maybe used to be engaged, but for whatever reason, uh, hurt, pain, busyness, uh, whatever the season of life, they got out of whack. Father, I pray today that you would call them back. Call them back to serve you full out with whatever days we might have remaining to your glory and the good of others. And Lord, I pray for some folks that for whatever reason maybe haven't gotten started yet. Lord, I pray that your spirit might just prompt them to say, what you do matters. How I shaped you matters. And that they would hear your calling and they would respond with a yes, Lord. And so I'm just going to ask you to take these last few moments right before our offering time and just reflect.